Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. Hello, everyone. I'm Greg Goins from the Reimagined Schools Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to episode 58 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. This is your source for the latest in Google for Education, news, tips, tricks, ideas, and all kinds of things that you can use in your class tomorrow. And today we're going to dig into the idea of ePortfolios, a way that students can gather all of that information and all that work that they've done throughout the year and keep it with them and how Google Sites works really well with that. Yes, Google Sites is going to be such a powerful tool to use for ePortfolios. We're also going to share our our favorite Google news and updates. Of course, we have some fabulous feedback and even some voicemails we're going to play for you. And of course, a couple of things from the blogosphere. So you ready to get going, Matt? Yeah, let's get started. So to kick off our Google News and Updates today, we're going to talk about a way that Microsoft Office integrates with Google. So if you have one of those situations where you have some Google things and you have Office 365 or something, um, or if you work with Microsoft Office files, this is for you. So if you have Microsoft Office files in Google Drive, now Google has this option where you can avoid version conflicts. So if somebody's working on one version of the file and somebody else is working on it at a different time, sometimes you have conflicts and now they're working through that. They've got this thing called real-time presence, which will basically let users know if somebody else is editing a Word file or an Excel file or a PowerPoint file that's that's stored in Google Drive. And this is working through the Google Drive file stream. So this is supposed to start rolling out on October 17th. So this is going to be one of those things that hopefully will make your life just a little bit easier. It'll show you, if you ever do have those version conflicts, it'll show you a side-by-side of what those two versions are, and you can pick which one you want to keep. 
I think this looks great. Of course, you know, I am not currently using the combination of, of Microsoft and, and Google together, but we have so many schools that are. So right. I really felt like this was an important thing to include in this episode. And because people think that I won't even say the word Microsoft, but, <laughs> but we did it. We shared it. And let us know what you think and if it's useful to you. So moving on in our updates, I have some sad news. I'm so distraught by this. I know. I really want to cry about this one. So if you have been using Inbox by Gmail, which has been this like special sort of version of Gmail, it's been out for a few years since uh, 2014. It's dying. It's going yeah. away. <laughs> and uh, it will it will be shut down by the end of March 2019. I am just really upset. I use Inbox exclusively. And even when we got the big update to Gmail, I tried it. And I, I really, I've just adjusted so well to Inbox. And so I'm really sad. I'm going to have to, um, to make some adjustments, as we all do, because... Just like the weather, Google changes all the time. So um, nothing, nothing new, right? We, we've got to adjust. And you use it too, right? Yeah, I use it for my own, um, my personal uh, Gmail account. Uh, I use Gmail the or uh, for my personal, yeah, my personal Gmail account. I use it through Inbox. In fact, I was all the way back years ago when they did the invitation. Remember how you could only get into it by invitation? And so I I opted into that and got it before it was publicly available. Did you do that too? I did. And I didn't like it at first. I, really? It, it took me a while. Yeah, I really, I, I abandoned it at first and I went back and of course, now that I'm all adjusted, I've got to adjust to something else. So embracing right, change, yeah. right? That's part of it. Well, yep. you know, speaking of Gmail, there's another little update that people should be aware of. Gmail Offline, the Chrome app, is going to be removed later this year. And so this this is not a feature that you're actually losing. It's now built into the new Gmail. So the native capability is actually easier to use and performs better than the old Chrome app that people were using. So if you're a G Suite admin and you've had this enabled for your teachers, you want to go through, follow the link in our show notes that will give you the directions on how to um, enable it, uh, the Gmail offline in their settings and how to uninstall of course, as an individual user, you can go through and check this out in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 58. Yeah. And one last thing to mention, the the whole idea of, of Google Maps and Google Maps Street View and everything, I think, is such a useful tool in the classroom. And it's interesting to see how it has morphed. And so what, what Google has started to do is to take the idea of those street view images, you know, where you can drop yourself down on the street and see what it actually looks like to be there. And they're starting to use it to map out places that don't actually have streets. Like up in Canada, you know, where where it's you, you basically are, are going places by, you know, by snowmobile and a variety of other different ways. They're starting to map out some of the places that are not so easy to get to. And so Google's telling us about how they're doing this. And if you're not familiar, a lot of times with those street view images, there's a car that will drive that has this panoramic camera on top of it. 
Well, they've also created this thing called Trekker where they'll, they'll put this great big backpack on somebody's back that has a panoramic camera in it and they can gather some of those images. In this post, they also show a picture of somebody driving, you know, one of those uh, great big tricycles. Um, with a with a panoramic camera on the back of it, so it's interesting to see how Google's starting to branch out with this ma- its maps to show us more and more of the world from our devices. So another just another update that they've got to Google Maps. And you know, too, we have a lot of Canadian members in the tribe, so we do. I think, That's right. I think they're going to like it, eh? A yeah, <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. So <laughs> yes. And, and you know Google is mapping the world, so to speak. So we we've they're mapping the ocean floor, they're mapping the deserts. So um, it will be really interesting to explore Canada's north. Hey, y'all! We are going to talk about e-portfolios, and more specifically, how we can use Google Sites to support that, both for students and for teachers. So if you're not really familiar with the idea of e-portfolios, I'm actually surprised we still put the E in front of it. We've we've dropped a lot of E's over the years <laughs> in terms of things. So, um, But the idea is really uh, to, to showcase work or to show growth. There's sort of like two sides, two different types of portfolios that tend to be the most popular. And, you know, there's the showcase portfolio, which is really like your best work. Um, as a student. On the teacher side, a lot of teachers also use portfolios, you know, as sort of an online resume, but also as proof of some of their professional learning and things like that. So it does allow us to make learning visible, which is something that we talk a lot about on this podcast. And obviously, it's a very hot topic. But the the idea of using Google Sites to do this can make it very possible. And, you know, Matt, this ties back to so many of the ideas from the dynamic learning framework as well, you know, both getting students to publish, you know, to go beyond the walls and to get their work out there shared with the world, as Mm -hmm. well as the idea of that, you know, continuous learning mindset and going beyond the bell and, you know, helping them to continue to work on things and, and build that mindset that the learning doesn't have to end just when the bell rings. You know, we've seen so many of those assignments kind of like die as soon as uh, as soon as their students are done with them. And of course, a lot of times they think whenever I get a grade on it and whenever I get it back, actually, a lot of times it's just whenever I turn it in, then it's done and I'm done and I'm ready to move on. And, um, you know, so often when we hand things back to students, it ends up in the trash can because A, they don't have a good place to put it. B, they're not motivated to put it any place. And see, they've moved on to, to something else. But if we have something like an e-portfolio, there's a couple of different models that, that you can go with here. Um, some teachers will create a portfolio of just their own students' work. So within the school year, they're gathering all of that um, work together. You know, things that either they kind of like the one and done type of activities that were meaningful or maybe things that they progressively work on and add to throughout the year. And so you've got that where it's just the student work within the school year. But then some schools will also go with a an ongoing portfolio that follows students. So they start on it, 
you know, either in elementary or middle school or high school or when, whenever that may be. And they just perpetually, continually add meaningful things to it. So it's an embodiment of everything that they've done. So if your school doesn't do that and you think that that sounds meaningful, that might be something worth mentioning and trying to get started. And even if you don't, you know, students could create their own sites. If they're bought into the idea too, you might mention, hey, you've got some really good stuff here. If you start to collect it into a portfolio of sorts, then you can use that to see your growth throughout the year or maybe even to show it to somebody. If you wanted to include a link on a college application or a job application, or if you're trying to get in in a leadership position in an organization, having some of that stuff that they can show can be really good. And of course, as we're building that, that digital footprint, you know, this is, this is a way for students to put some of those positive things out there that they've done. Absolutely. You know, I have been a a big fan of portfolios even before they were technically electronic. And, you know, this was something that we did in my former school district in Leander ISD. And then when I moved into a, a digital learning coach position, we were helping teachers try to find solutions for this. And there really were not a lot of great solutions back in the day. And even, you know, a lot of teachers have been using still the older, old version of Google Sites, classic sites, as you call it. And classic sites had the ability to to create and use templates. So you could create a template that you wanted every student to use so that you could make sure they kind of um, molded it into the type of portfolio you wanted with certain pages. And maybe you wanted it to have a theme that matched your school or your class or something like that. And that's one of the things we're still missing in the new sites. So if you're using the new sites, this means in the lower grades, probably that creation piece falls more on the teacher in terms of creating the site and then sharing it with the student or possibly even with the really young ones, you know, publishing some of the work for them. But in those upper grades, uh, I would say probably at least fifth grade, maybe fourth grade and up. The kids can easily do this because Google Sites is so easy now. With the old sites, I would have never said that. So with, you know, the new sites, if you really haven't looked at it, it's it's beautiful. And there are so many advantages to using G Suite in general for ePortfolios. But, you know, there's there's other things out there, too. And I, I still get a lot of questions about, hey, what's a good app for this? And, hey, I want to do ePortfolios, but I don't want to use sites or, or whatever. But I know a lot of people are using things like Seesaw and Canvas have, like, built-in things into their platforms for doing this. So even if you don't want to jump into sites, hopefully you can take some of these ideas and apply this into whatever platform you want to use. Yeah, um, I even remember I, t- I tried to do something like this in my own classroom in my uh, high school Spanish classes. And at that point, there wasn't anything like the new Google Sites. And so I was trying to use live binders. And each of the students, I think, had to have their own accounts. And it was so much work to get something loaded in there. And it was just, it was such a, a pain. And so I abandoned it. But if we had something like Google Sites that is so easy to use. It's it's drag and drop. Um, you know, what's great about it is if your students are creating things within G Suite, so if they're making meaningful products in docs or slides or Google drawings or whatever, really all they've got to do is just, you know, you can create sub pages for different classes, uh, however you want to organize it um, for different projects. And then all they do is just drag and drop 
a file from any one of those any one of those G Suite apps. You just drag and drop it onto the screen and resize it and you know, now there's, there are even some of those little um, like mini templates that you can use that help you um, kind of like organize your your stuff on the page and, and design it without a whole lot of effort. And so, you know, by students being able to do that, they're able to kind of like show the story of their work from start to finish or kind of like display what it is. And um, yeah, that, that interface has, has really come a long way. And then in addition to that, there's also sort of like the metacognitive side of it, you know, thinking about the thinking where students can write about the process and the journey of creating those products. They can even record videos um, that they they dump into you know into YouTube or Google Drive, and then be able to display those on their e-portfolio sites too. So really, the the options are are pretty limitless when it comes to this. They are, and you know the advantage of using G Suite, you know you've already got the accounts, you know, so you're not running into those roadblocks like what you were talking about with Live Binders and. You know, everything just works so seamlessly together with all of those G Suite applications. So, you know, there's so many different ways that they can add that. But one of the really important pieces of any good portfolio is going to be that reflection piece. And so, you know, there's a million different ways that they could do reflection, whether they're, you know, that's in a doc, they've done some writing, they open up, you know, the camera on whatever their device is, and they do a, a confessional, maybe they do it in Flipgrid, or, you know, maybe they even do it as some sort of visual, you know, drawing out, you know, whether they're doing that in, in drawings or making it some sort of representation of the things, but for students to actually go back and to see, hey, this is where I was at the beginning of school, and then to look at how far they've come, to be able to make those connections is such a powerful thing that, you know, and there are a lot of schools doing this, but honestly, there's not enough. This is this is a extremely powerful tool that that should should be in your classroom, honestly. I I think that it's it is too powerful to ignore. And like we said, you know, using G Suite, a no brainer. You know, we've also included some additional links in the show notes for you. And I found this great checklist from Edgeforia. And I will tell you, this post is from 2013, but don't let that deter you. They actually had a really great list of things to think about um, that you may or may not want when you're when you're designing the, the whole e-portfolio process, you know, whether you want students to see each other's work, to comment and to do some of those other things. So, you know, be sure that you come and check that out. I also want you to be able to access. We have a couple of examples in here for you. Thank you, Mike Muhammad. You had no idea that you were going to make this uh, this episode, but Mike has shared Surprise. shared these with me. Um, I've shared these in presentations and he had his students creating some physics portfolios. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. Um, and it's, it's so easy to do. You know, Google Sites just looks so professional now. And I think it's just a really great way to model that whole perception for students. And again, it's something they can take with them when they go. And that's a consideration too, you know, when you're trying to decide what tool to choose, because especially with these older kids, this is something that can help get them into college. And, you know, so, and we want to see what you're doing. So if you're creating e-portfolios, please, you know, share your examples with us. I'm always asking, begging for examples of what things look like in the classroom. So if you have any, please send those to us. 
Yeah, we definitely love to see that. And if you've got any tips and tricks, if you've done this in your own classroom and you've said, hey, this really works or, you know, you probably ought to avoid this, we'd love to see those too. So definitely we'd love to see those on the Google Teacher Tribe hashtag on Twitter. So that's GT Tribe, the hashtag GT Tribe. Or you can always head over to googleteachertribe.com and send us a message and we'll gather some of those together. If we get some good stuff, we will pass those along to you on the next episode. And if you want to see all of the resources that we've mentioned so far in these links to Mike's examples, go to googleteachertribe.com slash 58 to grab a copy of the show notes. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. All right, Tribe, it's time to hear from you. So we're going to dig into the mailbag. We get messages from you in a variety of different places. And so we wanted to share some of those that have come in. And this first one comes from Bettina Franz. This was a comment that uh, was left on the website. And what she says is she's been using Google Sites. This kind of connects to what we were just talking about. And what she wants students to be able to do is to offer a comment box, you know, a place where someone can leave a comment on their e-portfolios or their student sites. And she said she's seen how some people will use Google Forms to do this, which is a pretty useful idea. The idea is that you stick a Google Form onto the student's website and make some fields where uh, someone can leave a comment. And then you take the spreadsheet where all of those responses come in and you embed that spreadsheet down below that Google form or in a different place on the, on the, uh, the page. So then people are able to leave the comments through forms, but then they can also see all of the comments that were submitted in sheets. And so she was, she was just asking, you know, is there another way to do this? Am I overlooking something? Um, she said, if, if the, the portfolio kind of gets moved around, is it going to become disjointed? And honestly, Casey, I'm thinking this is probably just about the best option I can think of. The only other thing I could think of is if you wanted to leave specific uh, feedback for the student, just teacher to student, maybe you do that through an assignment in Google Classroom. But that's more of a private thing if you have private feedback. But for public feedback, this is about the best option, isn't it? This is the most common that I have heard of. And really one of the things I'm still waiting for in Google Sites, because as you know, I'm a big proponent of getting students to share their work publicly and globally and to get that comment. That comment feature is really what changed my students' thinking in terms of the value of their work. It is It cannot be undervalued how important that piece can be because the moment they know somebody's going to read it besides the teacher, it just completely shifts how they think about their work. So, um, but yeah, and if anybody else has suggestions on ways you're making this work within Google Sites or other places, please share that with us. Okay, we're going to move on to our next question, which happens to be a speak pipe. Woohoo! You know, we, we love our speak pipes. And, you know, this one comes to us from Libby Nags in Texas. So take it away, Libby. Hi, Matt and Casey. I feel like a little piece of my universe is back in place because y'all are back on for the, for the season. You're my favorite podcast. I wanted to say about Google Classroom, the new classwork page. I personally love the topics because I use my units of study as my topics. You can move the whole topic up and down. So I just keep the top, the unit that we're working on currently at the top of the page. Now, if you put in a resource and you don't put a topic on it, it goes straight to the top of the page. 
So I wonder, I'm thinking if you could, if someone who's trying to add in a lot of materials that maybe don't go with the particular unit, like the syllabus and all that, I'm wondering if that person or you could make a hyperdoc or something similar that had links to all those resources and then don't topic that. And then it would be the first thing on the classwork page and, and the students would have access to all that other stuff they need. So just my thinking again. So glad y'all are back. Have a great day. Bye. Okay. So this is a topic, no pun intended. Yes, pun intended. Uh, uh, that that happens to be a, to- a top of mind topic for not only me, but for everybody right now. I I think the main conversations I seem to be having about the new Google Classroom are the frustrations with the classwork page and those topics. So thank you, Libby, for that suggestion of just sort of making a resource document that could go at the top. And I think a lot of teachers are doing this and sharing some different ways. So we're all kind of learning together and figuring out new ways to organize that page. And of course, anybody else has suggestions on things that are working for you inside that that cl- new classwork page, again, please let us know. Go leave us a speak pipe. This next question comes from Dan Curtis, who, by the way, has an adorable little baby in the background. I'm a proponent of more babies on the Google Teacher Tribe. I'm not sure how we're going to do that, but I think if there was a way to do it, I think that I would be in favor Ooh, of yeah, that. So, yeah, I, I like it. Right? I, I'm picturing little onesies yeah. and everything. Okay, Dan, take it away. Hey, Matt and Casey, uh, you have to pardon the noise for my baby in the background, if you can hear that. Just want to say thanks for the podcast, the book, the courses, and all the stuff uh, that you all offer. Really appreciate it all. Quick question is, what do you do if uh, students are not allowed to download, I guess, or install the extensions? The, there's so many great extensions. Um, and if students aren't allowed to use those, I, if, I guess at my school, a lot of them are blocked, is, is my point. So... Um, I've tried. Do you try to have those? Uh, you know, email your system administrator and get those unblocked, or what? What is your suggestion on that? Thanks, guys. Dan, I think this is a good point to bring up. Um, and honestly, I think that you've you've basically got it. Do you contact your system administrator and your school leaders? I think definitely you do. There's no real you know, official workaround, (laughs) you might be able to get into some like nefarious hacks to get around the system. But I don't know that that's probably the best way. But I think that that's one of the important roles that we play as teachers is to be advocates for what's best for our students. And so hopefully, just by making those suggestions to the the school leadership about what we think will be best for students, you know, hopefully in the end, what's best for kids ends up winning out anyway. So yeah, I think that that's, that's probably your best option there. Totally agree. As frustrating as it is, uh, you know, there, there are powers that be that we have to answer to. And unfortunately the, the powers that be do not always understand what's best for kids and what's best for instruction. And I really hate it when they don't trust teachers and I'm not saying that's happening here, but it does happen in a lot of places. So I feel you, man. Um, but you know, follow the protocol and, and see if you can get some of those conversations started. And sometimes it's just that sometimes it's just, they didn't know that you wanted it. So, um, I'm going to move on to our last question here from Sarah Fromhold, who is a longtime listener. Hey, Sarah, She's from Frisco, Texas, and Sarah asks if there is a way to make form responses go to the top of the response spreadsheet instead of the bottom. And, you know, she thinks that it would just be a great way instead of having to always scroll down. And I 
really agree with this because now I think I wait, especially some of my forms that have so many responses, you know, it takes forever to load those pages. It would be great. So Sarah, I have to tell you, at first you stumped us. And we, we didn't have any kind of answer, but I was like, you know what? I bet somebody has written a script out there. And so I did some digging and I did find one that was suggested in the Google product forums. So I have linked to that in the show notes for you. So that was really the only way I could figure it out is somebody had to write a script. And there are all kinds of scripts that people will write to do kind of specific things like this inside Google Sheets. And uh, it's it's really handy. So I hope this helps you. And you can see that link and see if that works by going to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 58. This episode is just about in the bag, but before we go, we want to share a couple of blog posts that you may want to check out, some things that might be useful to you. And I published one just recently at Ditch That Textbook about this thing that I'm calling Google Slides Icon Boards. And one of the things that I love about using slides and drawings is that you can pull together text and images to create kind of like visual notes or almost like an infographic of the things that you're learning. And the verbal visual mix is very brain friendly, but sometimes going and finding all of those images can be a pain. So I created a couple of templates that you can download here where all of the icons and all of the little arrows and all of those visuals that your students might want to use to create something kind of like an infographic or some visual notes is all sitting right there for you. And all of those pieces are kind of like around the outside of the slide or the drawing on that extra space on the outside. So students can just kind of drag them in. I feel like it's kind of like infographics light or infographics for people in a hurry. (laughs) So all of the pieces are all kind of sitting there and you can just drag them onto the screen. So there are some templates in there that, that you can use if you want to check those out. That's awesome. Yeah. I love templates, but you know, the icons are super handy and what a great way to do some, some different types of visual thinking. So thank you for creating and sharing that, Matt. Now, um, I, I, I'm going to hearken back to our other episode, our previous episode 58, where we talked about Google Classroom. And so if you heard Libby's question earlier about Google Classroom, you can go back and listen to episode 57. We talk all about those updates. And so from, that episode and from teaching an online course with Google Classroom and talking to teachers, I've talked to hundreds of teachers. I'm like, what are you doing? How are you organizing Google Classroom? And essentially what I found were there were five common ways that most teachers had decided to create those topics and how to organize those assignments. So I put those into a blog post called How to Organize Assignments in Google Classroom. And you can go check out and see all five different suggestions with screenshots to see how to best organize for the type of of classroom that you have. You know, it's one of those things that's going to be a personal preference. There's no right or wrong answer. It's a matter of figuring out what works best for you, your grade level, your content area, and just how you like to work. That wraps up episode 58 of the Google Teacher Tribe. So we hope everyone has picked up a few new Google tips and tricks, especially when it comes to using e-portfolios in Google Sites. You know, I think there's just a plethora of ideas out there when it comes to this whole 
platform and how to make the most of ePortfolios to help demonstrate student learning. So, you know, the other thing too, Matt, I wanted to be sure and thank the listeners who have left us a rating inside iTunes. Yeah, that's that's so useful to, to help other people find the show. And it's also good feedback for us so we know what to do with their show. So thank you so much if you've done that. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, uh, definitely do that. And if the show has been useful to you, we have one little favor to ask you. Would you mind telling someone else about it if you haven't already? Um, that's that's really a, a great way for us to be able to get to other people and help impact teachers and in turn help impact students. So uh, we appreciate you. We thank you so much for being a part of the tribe. And we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power. And may the Googles be with you. going beyond the bell. The learning doesn't have to end just when the bell. I feel like we're surgeons. Doctor, would you like to close? Scalpel. Oh, I guess I don't need the scalpel to close. What do I need? I need something else. Um, right. you, need, you need sutures. That's what you need. Yeah. I don't, you don't I hear don't that though. Yeah. And me the sutures. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.